BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This episode is brought to you by Air France. Just when I thought it couldn't get any better, Air France recently announced their newest chef partner. Starting September 1st, the new onboard menu will be designed by Daniel Rose of Le Cucou in New York and Spring Restaurant in Paris. In true Air France fashion, each meal comes with wine and champagne pairings so you can really wind down. See you in the sky. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Friend of a Friend podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Perez. If you Google the name Christopher John Rogers, a slew of articles will come up all with the same title. Meet Christopher John Rogers, fashion's next big thing. I actually met Christopher when we were both graduating seniors in college. I was invited down to the Savannah College of Art and Design to be on the jury panel for the fashion students graduating collection. He then went on to work for names like Rosie Asselin, Tanya Taylor, and Diane von Furstenberg, all while creating a collection shown only on Instagram. Now, he's one of the youngest designers to show at New York Fashion Week with rave reviews from Vogue, WWD, and more. His clothes have been worn by Michelle Obama, SZA, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Cardi B, just to name a few. And he's now a finalist for the CFDA Fashion Fund this year. Needless to say, those Google headlines definitely have a point. In this episode, Christopher and I talk about creating glamour in a not-so-glamorous world, representation in the fashion industry, and how a Baton Rouge-born designer plans to make it big in the Big Apple. Here's my friend, Christopher John Rogers. I'm so excited to have you on today. Yay, I'm excited to be here. I can't believe I haven't seen you since Savannah. It's like really the craziest thing. It's been, a, you know, it's been but like... But that's like, what, three, four, three years? Well, three, four years? How long we've been out of college. Oh my God. Yeah, because we were the same age. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, you were in college then? I was a graduating senior. We were the exact same age. It was so trippy. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. I got there and I was like, oh my God, I am worthless. Like seeing all no, of please, no. art. I was like, oh my God, these people are seniors as well, the same age as me, and they are creating like beautiful collections. And I don't I, I, mean, I can't even like do arts and crafts. No, it's totally fine. No, you can definitely do arts and crafts because that's what we're doing. It's arts and crafts. It was such an incredible experience though. I still it's think bad. yeah. Mm-hmm. Savannah was like one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. Yeah. It was it's really great to like study there. Um because, like, I feel like if I would have gone to, like, New York or Paris or London or whatever, like, I would have been so informed by, like, the cosmopolitanness of the city and, like, thinking about, you know what I mean? And, like, Absolutely. in Savannah, like, I had my car so I could, like, yeah. drive wherever I needed to go. And, like, it was really comfortable and, like, warm and, like, kind of, like, homey, like, southern or very southern. 
Um, but like it was far enough for me to be able to like find myself and spread your wings. Yeah. Yeah. Curve. We'll get more into that later. Um, right. But tell us where you're from and where you live now. Um, I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I live in Bushwick, Brooklyn right now. Being from Baton Rouge, I always think I'm a city girl. I grew up mm-hmm. in L.A. I lived in New York, and I think okay. fashion is something that's like so prevalent in both societies. Yeah. Um, but I'm I've never kind of lived in a smaller town, and mm-hmm. Baton Rouge is not a small town. But I mean, yeah, it's like a small. It's like a bit, yeah. Like it's yeah. Like a big. It's like a. It has a. It's a big small town, basically. Right. But um, I'm always really curious about how fashion informs your life growing up there, right. in not such a metropolitan city. Well, I think. Like, it was—the funny thing is, like, I always grew up—or I grew up always on the computer or, like, on the internet. Um, my dad, uh, like, fixes computers as, like, his, like, part-time job, like, his gig on the side. So I always grew up, like, looking at things online, um, and so did my friends. So we were always on Tumblr or LiveJournal or, like, DeviantArt or Lookbook.nu, and, like, we were just looking at, like— Oh, how my God, Lookbook.nu. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. My brain just no. went, like— <laughs> Like t- 15 years back to I me know. sitting in like my parents' house. Like taking photos, like. <gasps> yes. I know. With the blue filter oh, from Photoshop. My, I, I forgot. I completely erased from my memory. I know. But like, so it was like being informed by like the rest of the world while also only having access to the things that were around us. So like, you know, we, we were going to, me and my friends were like going to thrift stores. And um, one of my best friends, um, Julie, at the time, she was. Um, like, going to Goodwill and, like, buying vintage wedding dresses, chopping it, wearing it as a top with, like, leggings and, like, a sneaker and, like, going to school. And, like, that sort of, like, mishmash of, like, high evening or, like, really special clothes um, that were altered mixed with kind of, like, the athleticism of Baton Rouge, um, which which has a really big sports following, um, kind of informed the way that I designed um, and design now. Um, so, like, that was always really interesting, like, to see how everyone, like, all my friends put together their looks, um, because one day it could be a t-shirt and, like, running shorts, and the next day it could be, like, a proper, like, dress and, like, heels and going to school and getting an A in, like, all of her classes. So, like, also that was interesting, like, her being able to be exactly who she was and then also, like, not having her clothes define her, but just adding another layer to who she was, um... And that also, again, like, informed the fact that you can, for me, that you can, like, wear whatever you want and be whoever you are and not have that be the only thing that you're known for. Do you feel like your style was as ever-changing during that time as well? Like, design-wise or personal style? Personal style. Yeah, Because I, I feel think. like I wore the craziest shit oh, when I was in high school and middle school. Me too. Yeah. Uh, well, even, like, going further back, like, in elementary school, I, um, for picture day, I always wore, like, head-to-toe a color. Like, fourth grade, it was head-to-toe yellow. I think fifth grade, uh, it was Way ahead to- of the monochrome look. Look I'm, at that. I mean. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, like, I was, like, kind of just, like, putting together whatever I wanted. Like, I, there was, like, this thrift store around the corner from um, my school, Baton Rouge High, and... It actually is, like, one of the best thrift stores that I've ever been to. Um, but, like, I would buy, like, vintage, like, cowboy boots and then in, like, burgundy and then wear them with, like, gray skinny jeans and oversized cardigan and then, like, a floral pin from Anthropology, And then, like, you know, just, like, go to school every day, yeah. like, in, a, in an outfit. And then, like, it was fine. You know, and then we were friends. I was friends with everyone. So it, it was, like, really interesting, like, the, 
like I was just allowed to like embrace all of the nuances and like subtleties of myself. And that's something that I always try and bring into the work that I do now. That's amazing. I don't yeah. feel like that is common to hear of like a high school experience. It's not. At all. Um, it, but it's also really interesting to hear you say that you were wearing monochrome looks at like in fifth grade. Like yeah. that's a, that's not, <laughs> I mean, it's not highly intellectual, but it is a choice that you're making right. in your fashion. Mm-hmm. Was there a specific moment that like sparked the love of fashion for you, obviously at an early age? Do you like remember distinctly being like, what's that? Um, I, n- no, I think I've always been interested in it. Like, I don't know why. I just think it's just something that I've always kind of loved. Um, I did, I was like an anime kid. So I grew up on like Card Captor, Sailor Moon, Pokemon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, both televised and like the actual like comic book form. Um, and like one day I was drawing um, comic books. Like we made our own comic books in elementary school. So I was drawing with my friend Catherine. And then one of the characters that I made, she was like, why, like, are they always wearing the same thing? And I was like, well, like, I don't see, like, Ash Ketchum changing his, like, hat every day. You know what I mean? Like, he's wearing the same thing. So why would I ever, like, change the outfit? But then that just kind of, like, made me start thinking about the importance of clothing and, like, how by immediately changing our outfit, you can change someone's power or something about them that they didn't even know that existed within them. Um, and, like, that transformative aspect and that, like, self-identifying and self-actualizing aspect upon reflection is what really drew me to fashion. But at the moment, it was just kind of like, okay, like, I can make decisions about, like, what this person is like or what they like or how to add another layer to, like, to this person. Um, So that was, like, the first moment that I realized that, I guess, that fashion design was a thing. Um, But I was always interested in, like, people that express themselves quite loudly with their outfits. Um... I think also because because of, like, growing up um, in the South, I wasn't always... Or I, I felt like I needed to shrink myself in a lot of ways. To um, shrink yourself? Yeah. Why? Uh, well, I mean, being, like, black and gay and, like, Baton Rouge. Like, it was... It actually, like, low-key or a high-key... It was fine. Like, I never really got bullied. Um, but, like, if I went to the mall or whatever, like, obviously people would stare because of the way that I walked, even no matter what I was wearing, if it was, like, a T-shirt and jeans, which it never was. But, like, if, it, if even if it was just, like, something simple or subdued, I would still get stared at. And so then at some point I was like, well, if, I'm, if they're going to stare at me and kind of, like, snicker, I might as well just, like, wear what I want. Um, and then also, like, characters and personalities that had, um, like, the most amazing powers in the world but also wore the most amazing ensembles was really inspiring to me. Like, so... I've always been drawn to not even access, but full expression and full authenticity. Um, and that was definitely something that I was always trying to explore growing up. Like, if I couldn't say what I wanted to say or, like, move the way that I wanted, I could at least maybe dress in the way that I did, and then you would get the picture. Yes. Um, and that succinctness of message visually was something that I always was interested in. It sounds like you had a very accepting high school where people were very artistic and creative. Yeah. I mean, like, especially, like, in the Deep South. Yeah, um, that, and that's like, what's so jarring to me about this yeah. conversation. It's, it's And what do you think that was? I honestly, I think it had a lot to do with my family and my parents. They were always accepting, super accepting of me just being myself. Um, and then 
that security going into a public setting. Like I they always surround they always put me in environments where I was surrounded by people who were quite different, quote unquote, than me. So like in first grade, my best friends were Korean, Jewish, and Muslim. And we all played together and we all like like ate lunch together and like build whatever into class together. It was fine. Like nothing was like weird about that. Um and then I go to middle school like I've always been around a bunch of different people and it's so interesting because like like they they purposely placed me in situations where I had to be surrounded by difference um and all of those experiences leading up into high school where I could like eventually not only move in the way that I wanted and speak in the way that I wanted I could also dress the way that I wanted um which is super important to me I just think it allowed me to like try a bunch of different things and they figured out. So then you left high school yeah. and you went to SCAD. Right. So I applied to FIT, Parsons, and SCAD. Oh, wow. You were really set. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm actually, yeah. it's fine. You're like, that's so. <laughs> it for me. And if none of them happen? Then, well, I, I also was like low-key, like, oh, I, like I, one of them is happening. Right. So I applied to FIT, got in early action, applied to SCAD, got in, and they gave me, I also did a portfolio for them. Um, I did a, a portfolio for all of them, but SCAD gave me a really good scholarship. Um, so that was kind of like, okay, you know, that's might be the one. But my parents really liked SCAD um, just because it was so close to home. Um, it was like in between New York and Louisiana. Um, and I also really liked it just because it felt, it was, it just felt really different because um, I toured um, Parsons and it was like, it was, it was fine. Um, and it was kind of what I expected, like, an institution to be like. Um, and then I went to SCAD, and it was kind of more than what I expected it to be like. Um, I mean, it, it was just, like, super enchanting, everything about it. Um, the intimacy of the, of the facilities and working with the faculty and meeting everyone and, like, being surrounded by so many different types of aesthetics in one place was like was really interesting to me so it kind of made the most sense. I mean, I was blown away by SCAD. Yeah. I had never been I mean, to begin with, Savannah as a city was just unbelievable to be in. Yeah. I could imagine being so creative there. Yeah. But also like the facili- facilities and there was such a camaraderie among your class mm-hmm. even though it was a really competitive time for you guys. Yeah, like yeah. you literally had like 20 people from um like like 20 really talented people in the industry that I'm sure a lot of people looked up to. Yeah. Side note, I had no idea why I was there. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> please. Uh. I was really young. Um, <laughs> but it was, I could imagine that being a really daunting experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, senior year was a lot. Um, so basically we had to make like a six look collection. Or, but yeah, so we were assigned to make a six look collection. But for the jury show, which you were a part of, we only showed four looks. So everyone was, like, working, like, nonstop to get that done. But I kind of, like, set myself up to be able to execute all the things that I knew that I wanted to. So I knew I wanted to do, like, hardcore tailoring. I wanted to, like, have prints made. I wanted to do embroidery with Swarovski. I wanted to do, like, all of these different layers um, of garments, not just, like, a dress or, like, a top and a skirt um, for my senior thesis. So I, like, from freshman year... I started organizing all of the classes in order so that way I was, like, only allowed to or, like, had to take fashion classes earlier 
So I got all of my foundation courses done. I, like, tested out of math and science. Um, and then I set up, like, my sewing classes to be able to know how to do all things that I wanted to do early enough in my, like, college career to be able to execute those things well enough. Have you always been an execution-driven person? With the things that I want to do, yes. Because it's incredible to hear you say this. If you talk to the average college student, mm-hmm. they're, like, lost for the first two and a half years. Right, yeah. The fact that you entered college and were like, I'm going to do this in mm-hmm. this exact order so that mm-hmm. I can ace the test in four years from now <laughs> right. is mind-boggling to me. Right. But you do, ha- you are someone to me, even I, I distinctly remember meeting you and mm-hmm. seeing your collection, and yeah. you had so much conviction in what you Thank were doing you. and who you were. Thanks. Have you always been like that? Um, I grew into that. I think yeah. I always, I always knew who I was and what I liked. Um, but again, I think the words of encouragement from like my peers and my parents really allowed me to be okay with the things that I liked, um, which in turn, I think convinced people or like, like people who liked what I was doing or maybe was in, were interested in it, my conviction helped push them to be like, okay, this makes sense. I get exactly what you're saying. Um, because I think sometimes I also am a bit n- delusional. Like, or I'm very like, I, I like reach for, what is it, the moon? And if I like land among the stars, that's fine too. So like I'm always like reaching for like, I'm always pushing to be the best or like to do the best that I can um, and maybe reach something that seems unattainable, but that's because I've always been told that that's a possibility. So my mom has always been like, okay, just work really hard and you'll get what you want. Sacri- like sometimes you have to sacrifice. Sometimes you have to like not sleep or you have to like use the money that you would use on food for fabric or whatever and just make it work. Um, and then I've always been like blessed enough to like at least have a community of people around me to support me through times where I didn't have everything that I needed. Um, so I, I don't come from a ton of money, but I've always had like friends that I could like rely on for things. Um, but all that, all that to say, I just like believe in just like going after what you want and preparing yourself, preparing yourself as much as possible for that journey. I'm also like obsessed with fashion. So I was like, okay, like what are all these people doing? Like what, like, okay, like McQueen didn't come for money either. So, or Galliano. So that's like a great reference. Like, what do they do? Oh, they went to these schools. They had like a great thesis collection and people started paying attention to them, et cetera, et cetera. The journey goes on, whatever. Um, so then I was like, okay, I'll just like go to a good school and like do a great thesis collection and then I'll get picked up by like a store and it'll be great. And then that also didn't happen. So then I was like, what do I do now? Um, and again, I think that was like an example of like reaching for something and then having it not happen, but then still pushing for the thing that you want. So what did happen when you left school? I moved to New York. um, And then I moved in with my friend, one of my best friends at the time. Um, And then they had a vacant room, which had like no windows and then like a mat on the floor. So I just slept on the floor. And then I brought my senior collection with me and I like bought a rack or I got a rack from um, Craigslist it was, like, down the street, so I picked it up and then hung my collection. So I had a collection. I had a suitcase with my clothes and, like, a cot on the floor. And then I just slept, slept on the floor. So you're on the cot in your friend's apartment. Mm-hmm. What was the next step after leaving college? Um, on the cot, applied for jobs, didn't hear back, started working at a restaurant, busting tables. Um, 
And then I was like, and then also like lending out to like different stylists at the time. So I was like emailing everyone that I could like find a contact for. And I was like, hey, pull myself, pull myself, pull myself. And then people were like, who, who is this? I'm, I'm sure. Cause like they weren't responding at the time. They're like, what, what are you doing? Um, but I eventually landed an interview um, at Diane von Furstenberg, um, who um, at the time had just hired Jonathan Saunders to be the new creative director. Uh, and he was someone whose work I always looked up to and was obsessed with. So when he like, um, so when he sh- closed his own label in London, I was like, oh no, like I really liked seeing what he was doing and like his presence in fashion. And then to have him come here, I was like, okay, great. I need this job. Like I was like, I have to work here. Um, and then after I saw their first collection, I was like emailing furiously. So then I went and had an interview with my then boss, Henry, um, or my future boss, now past boss, but Henry. Um, and he saw my work and he really, although I had no experience in knitwear, which was the role that I was applying for, he saw my point of view and um, the references that I was using and my affinity for color, which is what a lot of the things that Jonathan was um working towards at DVF. Um, and then I ended up getting the job after Jonathan saw my portfolio and my project. Um, and then I was working at DVF. How did you balance the two? Because you were at DVF and still pushing your own collection at the same time. Right. Um, so for the first few months, I like kind of put my own collection away because I was like, I need this job. I need to like just focus on this. And then I think about like three months in, I got an email from Vogue. And then I, I know, and, but they were like asking me to come to like a panel, like to like listen to a panel. Um, so I was like, okay, well this is like weird, but I kind of have to go. Like, I feel like I can't like not go. So I told Henry, I was like, Hey Henry, can I talk to you? Um, and so he was like always really supportive of me. He was like, okay, fine. Like we just can't, so we can't say anything, but you can like leave and go to like the, the doctor. It's fine. And so then I would like shout out supportive bosses. Shout, no, literally, yeah, because it could have, it literally could have just been like, okay, you need to leave. Even though he was very well aware of like what was happening, it was kind of like don't really talk about it, right? Um, but so after that, I kind of would like, if I had a pull from someone, I would bring it in like a non-discreet, in like a discreet bag to work, and then they'd be like, oh, I'm downstairs for like L, and then I'd go to lunch and like drop off. Like it was very weird. Um, but then after about a year, um, everyone kind of knew and it was like a fine thing. Um, and everyone was really supportive. And then when I started showing on the calendar, um, that's kind of when I started to like have to really make decisions about where I was going to take the brand and how I was going to juggle both things. Did you show on the calendar the same time you were at DVF? Yeah. How? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I do know. It was, like, a lot of help from friends. Like, yeah. um, one of uh, my coworkers and friends that now lives with me, um, Alexandra, she would drive all the way from Boston, like, every other weekend to help me sew. So for the first season, we sewed everything. The second season, I was like, I can't do this. And I outsourced a few things, like the tailoring and the jackets and the things that I knew I wanted to be absolutely perfect. I, like, would sacrifice, like, extra money that I had and just put it all towards that. And then we'd make everything else, like, all the conceptual pieces or the fun pieces and the loud things. Um, And then this season, I would say maybe, like, we're making 75% of everything still. 
and then 25% is being made in the garment district. Um, but we have, like, friends that come over and help us make everything. So what helped you... When did you leave DVF? Earlier this year, right? Mm-hmm, March. I feel like that it is a very conflicting time that a lot of people our age are dealing with right now, mm-hmm. where it's like you're working for someone who's probably, who's great or amazing, whatever, maybe it's a dream job, but you also have like a side dream that you want to yeah. come to life. Mm-hmm. What helped you be like, all right, I'm taking the leap? Um, I think just me needing to like, I just needed to like do my own thing. Um, and then Diane also saw my collection for fall, which I presented in February of this year. And she kind of like pulled me aside and she was like, she went to her office and she was like, you really need to just like do this. She's like, you just need to like focus on this because I believe in what you're doing. You're really great. And I feel like you're being held back. And so it was kind of like a scary thing, but I kind of really just took that to heart and then yeah. started doing my own thing full time. Um, and so it was kind of interesting because at the same time that I left DVF, I was getting like all these calls to these random jobs. So I was like making clothes for commercials at the same time as like making custom things for like Lizzo and other celebrities. So that was like becoming like an income. And then I was able to do more things to help me sustain myself while I wasn't working a full-time job. So it, it all kind of, it all worked out. I always like to ask this. I know it's pretty a generic question, but Mm -hmm. I do think that young people in fashion always want to know what's the best advice for getting the job. Being annoying. Yeah. I think. Persistence. Yeah. Persistence. I'm just like email, email, call, call, call until they say, if they say no, then that's, then you probably should stop. But if they're not responding, I would just say hustle, email everyone that you think that you can email, um, apply for things that you may not even really be interested in and see where that goes too, I think. So now you're on your own. She's on her own. She's all on her own. How does yeah. it feel? It's scary. a little scary. Yeah, right? But it's exciting. I remember um, when I left, I was working a full-time job after school and I remember the day that I left and woke up the next morning and was like... <laughs> I Yeah. I was like, what did I just do? I know. <laughs> and because and, it's like you take a leap of faith, but without really do. any like net necessarily. And I, I also like I've said this once and I'll say it again. I think when people leave full time jobs and start to, to like go do their own thing, mm-hmm. they always think that like everything's going to happen overnight. And right. it's like, oh, my God, I cannot tell you like the hell that I was in for the first six months yeah. of me being freelance. On my yeah. own. It's hard because you have to get your name out there. You have to like at least get a little community around you that, like, supports you. A hundred percent. So it, that's really hard. But I just started consulting, actually, like, two months ago. So that was great. What kind um, of consulting? Uh, design collection development. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a side hustle. Yeah. You make it work. Absolutely. But I want to talk about your collection from February, and you're doing your first runway show in, like, two weeks. Yeah. But... It's oh, Your collection's always been really interesting to me because I think people in our position have every reason to gravitate towards streetwear, modern, mm-hmm. contemporary. Mm-hmm. But to me, you were always feminine, luxurious, yeah. glamorous. That's really hard to achieve. Why did you go towards towards that aesthetic? Is that just what you, fe- what you instinctually feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love anything adjacent to the high femme. 
I love things that take up space. I love things that are fun. It's just like what I personally love to see. And when I was given the chance to show on the calendar, like we we applied, but like everyone else. Um, but when we got approved, I was like, okay, this is like our chance to really show what we're about. And like, there should be no concessions because if this is the last season that we show, like if this is the one and only season, we actually need to give them everything that we have. So it's like metallic tailoring, but also subtle linen tailoring. And then also pink ruffles and sheer tops with drama Swarovski on the back and a puff sleeve blouse and like shimmer satin with fluorescent jeans because that's what I feel. And like allowing, as I said before, all of the little subtleties and nuances of the things that I liked to be present. Even if they weren't all fully realized the first season, at least they were all kind of there and people could see all of the tension that was in between the things that maybe didn't make sense. And I think that felt new. Right. Um, so that's what I was interested in doing. I also, I read in an interview because I stalked you. I <laughs> um, but I really liked that you to- embrace glamour in its fullest form. Right. But most, imp- I think you said something along the lines of, I want to design glamour for a world-, world that is not really so glamorous at the moment. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. I mean, I think as we all know, we're living in times that aren't the most accepting um, of, it's funny because like we're, like, I think we have, there are a lot of, obviously a lot of different worlds that are happening right now. So there are people that are not into acceptance or inclusion or a lot of different types of people existing in at one time. Um, but at, on the flip side, there are tons of ways for people to feel included and to see themselves in media and all these things. But I'm just really interested in adding to that and making things for people who like the things that I make, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, And I think, like, it's so, like, a lot of the conversations around how we're getting dressed or the things that people want to buy or wear um, or feel like they need to wear have to be pragmatic or um, neutral or easy or simple. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily always the case. Um, I think even if something is a bit more simple, it can be a beautiful color. It can be something that makes you feel something. I'm basically just like really into things that make you feel. Right. Um, and I think now in a world where we're having to like constantly address like an influx of information and like think about the climate and the earth and politics and all these things that are quite serious and important I think it's also okay to have fun simultaneously with the clothes that you're wearing and then address the needs of the day I think everybody at some point likes to be extravagant to some end yes yeah and also extravagant doesn't have to mean uncomfortable and it doesn't have to mean um like superfluous yes I feel like your idea of extravagant is the fullest form of yourself right right absolutely yeah and it's like if it's you know what I mean like it can just be like a sim- a simple like blouse and hot pink that's com- that's the most comfortable fabric that you've ever been in with jeans right because that day you're feeling like that and so, I want to offer that along with a feather concoction in the same offering you know what I mean like they don't have to like be mutually exclusive do you feel like you ever balancing between wearability mm-hmm. and glamour do you ever feel like you're sacrificing design 
Where did the two meet for no. you? No, I think that is the design. It's both things have to exist um, because I don't ever really want to make something that someone can't wear somewhere, even if it is super ruffled and or super bulbous or you know, forces you to, like, have to maneuver on the street in a weird way. At least you're wearing it to, like, a cocktail event or you're finding a way to wear it to work or wear it on the street or something adjacent to that in the collection. Um, I think that the melding of wearability and pragmatism and effortful dressing feels modern to me. And that's... Or, I mean, at least just me. It feels like what I want to say. And your clothes have been seen on... Take a deep breath, like mm-hmm. moment of silence for this crazy list. SZA, <laughs> Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Cardi B. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy. Yeah. But in, I like what you just said about the modern woman because what is your idea of the modern woman considering like the most amazing pe- women mm-hmm. today that are inspiring so many are wearing your designs? I think being modern is honestly like eye roll, but just being yourself. Yeah. Totally not eye roll. Like Cardi B and Michelle Obama and Casey Musgraves and Tessa Thompson are all their own person. And fearlessly themselves. Absolutely. And the th- and like every time someone wears something, it looks so different. Or it looks so them. It looks like they're in wearing something that they want to wear. Like they're not being like stuffed into something that they feel like they should be wearing. Yes. And I think that the clothes that we make are so you have to be you <laughs> I don't want to say polarizing, but they're like, you either like them or you don't. There's no room for trepidation or like being tepid or lukewarm about your opinion of the things that we're making, hopefully. Right. So it's either like you're pulling it and you're buying it because you want to wear it, not because, oh, it's an option. I feel like fashion has become a little polarizing for me lately. Mm -hmm. I feel super like, I feel like I had to retrain myself to wear what genuinely makes me happy and what I want to wear and not what my idea of fashion is. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like that's just something that, like, I've consciously had to get over lately where it's, like, I've been inundated by Instagram for, like, nine years mm-hmm. and it's, like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But is that what makes you feel good? Right. And it also can be, like, I mean, and it also can, like, change. Like, right. I used to be of the opinion of, like, okay, like, have an aesthetic, have a point of view and, like, you should be wearing this, like, all the time if that's what you like. But, like, one day, like I said before, one day can be like a tank top and shorts. Right. Fine. It's fine. Because yeah. you're actually living your life like you're not. Right. You know, it parading. doesn't need to be a full look every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. And then the next day you can be in a full look and that's okay. Right. I do love all the custom pieces that you've been doing for Lizzo have just been Thanks. so incredible. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I want to know what that process is like because. Right. I really just see her being her absolute best self. Yeah. Like, it's it's really phenomenal to see. She's amazing. I um, actually have only... She's the only person that I've dressed celebrity-wise that I've met. And her energy wow. is insane. Yeah. Her energy is insane. She's yeah. amazing. She's... <sighs> I think she's said it before, like, it's so hard to, like, love yourself in a world that doesn't necessarily love you back. And I think that that energy of, like, her trying or her, like, on the journey to loving herself and, like, having to accept everything about herself um, in a world that maybe might tell her otherwise just gives her such a... She has no choice but to be 
optimistic and to be herself. Yeah. Um, and the process of dressing her is always great. Um, I work with her stylist, uh, Marco Monroe, and he's super supportive. They always love whatever we're coming up with, whatever ideas we have. Um, but she's open to taking up space and like being amazing. You keep saying taking up space. Yeah. And I really, it's like striking a chord differently for me. Mm -hmm. I think because you are, you're doing that yourself in a way. I mean, in a very large way. I think obviously there's an intent behind naming your collection after your full name. Mm -hmm. And I was really curious about what you said earlier about being a black gay man in Mm -hmm. the South, but that now transitioning to you having your own line in New York Mm -hmm. and growing through the ranks. Yeah. How do you feel that has transitioned your brand or, or kind of made you look at the industry differently? I think when it comes to the intent behind the work, it's to create clothing for people to feel or be their most self-actualized at that given moment. But also I think to widen the canon of what fashion created by a black man can look like or a black person can look like. I think for quite a while there's been and also still is like this idea that it has to be rooted in something quote unquote urban or street or sexy in a way that can be quite reductive. Right. Um, Or maybe not, not even reductive, but just not as full or as nuanced as people are. Yeah. um, Especially people of color. Right. Um, But I think that I'm just trying to be as myself and true to everything that I like as possible at the same time to allow for other people to feel like they can identify with what I'm doing. Yeah. So it's like vintage aspect dinners. It's trash on the street. It's clowns. It's um, PBS kids. It's like Emerald Lagasse saying bam. It's Sailor Moon. It's like really bad couches from like the 90s. It's like it's all the things that I like but like in one space. And you may not even know that I'm referencing that thing but it's like somehow by combining all of those things like it's allowing for people to see themselves in something. It does. I can see how um, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with your conviction. You're so conscious about, um, one, your position and your impact and influence. It, it's in, it's amazing to watch you speak because I can see how conscious, because it's coming from your heart. Thank you. You know, it's, you, you mean it. You don't want to say something you don't mean. Yeah. You really the, do I'm mean like, it. Everybody wants to say the right thing. Everybody wants to um, be able to say things that help other people. Yeah. I think that's where yeah. it comes from. I never want to say anything. I'm always afraid I'm not even going to lie. Every episode I put out, mm-hmm. the minute I hit submit, I have this like deep pit in my stomach where I'm just like, I hope that something in here helps yeah. somebody. And yeah, I yeah. hope that, you know, like it's not just like rambling and mm-hmm. I hope that somebody hears it and has like a little glimpse of something. But yeah. yeah, watching you speak just now and feeling it coming from your heart because you were so, you were thinking so deeply about yeah. it. I can relate to that feeling. Mm-hmm. Especially as someone that's like, you're growing your brand and you know that you're growing an influence and you know yeah. that you have the power to change and help people. Right. Yeah. And that's also like, 
That's heavy. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about like safe spaces and like yeah. allowing for people to just be themselves and to be like play nice. Like be nice. Right. Don't be an ass. Right. And there are a lot of people that's like that are like, oh, that's not real. That's not like realistic. And I'm like, I'm actually I, I've, I'm living proof that that. A hundred percent. Is a reality, can be a reality. Right. Like, obviously, there are always going to be people that aren't the best people, that aren't nice, aren't giving, or judgy, whatever. But, like, for the majority of, like, for the most of my experience, it's been that, just that. Like, people being kind, people being open, people being different, people being themselves, and no one making fun of them for it or judging them for it or trying to put them down or stop them from existing or living or expressing themselves. What do you feel like has been the most challenging part of having a line? Everything. It's like not, it's really not, like I've heard that it's not just like designing the clothes, which I knew, but I didn't know how much of everything it was. Yeah. It's like making the clothes, but then also producing them and also making enough of one style that you can like make the cost like a realistic for someone yeah and then also packing that to ship to a store but if your things are huge you're giving me anxiety <laughs> right no same but it's like if, if like you have like this big ball gown you have to ship it in one box which like adds to the cost of the ball gown because you yeah. can't fit three in them and, and it's just like stuff like that that you Little need to think about every day shipping like you know like sizing like everything buying fabric like is it local is it like from overseas is it a sustainable fabric is it like are you making this fabric in a style that someone's going to want to wear for the next 20 years so you're not just, like, contributing to waste and global warming yeah. and fires and, you know, unnecessary drama? So it's it's a lot. Is there one specific challenge I feel, that you feel like you're trying to overcome right now? Mm, I, maybe it's hackneyed, but, like, just cash flow, finances. You and everyone. Because we're self-funded. Like, right. a lot of people have gone through, like, the rounds of financing or... Um, have have something or whatever, but it's like hard because we also don't make like we're not at this point making things that are strictly daywear. It's quite right. the clothes are quite special. Yeah, quite. Um, like they're the most special. <laughs> like like they're they're you have to like they're they're not the easiest things. Right. Which is fine with me. Right. But so that like also trying to. It doesn't make anything easier, but it's just like, but it's what we want to do. It's what we have to do. So we're just trying to find a way to do it in a way that makes sense for us. Is there a brand right now whose business model, um, you know, publicly, Mm business-wise, anything in the background that you admire and you look up towards? Yeah, Dries, I think. Um, Although... Chef's kiss. uh, I Literally. Literally. I mean, he's been around for forever. Right. Um, He makes clothes that are experimental, but then he also makes clothes that are super wearable yeah strong focus on color strong focus on print great fabrications consistent every season isn't trying to be anyone but himself 100 percent um just recently sold i think a maybe a majority of his company but like for quite a long time he was self-financed and self-owned and yeah um just really steadfast and stuck true to what he believed and that's what i want to do a lot of people just want to do their own thing or like make things which is yeah. fine um and they're finding ways to make those things and it's like then it becomes a business and then it's like okay we have to like make this top because it's sold before 
and that we're going to do it in like nude now. But I do think that, and that's also something that we're trying to grow into. Like I'm not naive and I don't think that like I can be making like this, what I'm, what we're doing now isn't a sustainable model for like ourselves as human beings. Cause we can't keep like right. staying up until 3am sewing all of these clothes. So we're going to have to like scale at some point and, you know, eventually make like we're, that's where we're trying to grow into is like a company that not uses an algorithm, but really thinks about, or just as more, I guess, like, I think we're trying to grow into a brand that obviously still addresses the fantasy, but also very much aggressively the reality of people's lives um, and grow in that way too, um, without losing any of the specialness of the clothes. Um, so in order to do that, there we have to start somewhere, so... Yeah. I think that's what we're trying to do. I really like what you just said. But so what's next? Your show is so soon. Oh First God. runway show ever. When this it's comes next, out, will have already weekend. happened. So that's awesome. What can we look forward to? Um, more big shapes. Really little shapes. Um, we're like blowing up the body in weird ways. Um, but still having it be um, quite flattering, I think. Not that that really is a concern. Flattering. What does that even mean? But um, obviously bright color, lots of joy, lots of fun, great hair, great makeup. Um, models that walk. Like, not just, like, trudge down the runway, but, like, really, it's, like, a, it'll, it should feel like a true fashion show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, it's we've waited a long time, and we've been generously sponsored by IMG, so we'll be showing at Spring Studios. Um, otherwise, if they hadn't sponsored, we wouldn't be able to afford it. Um but it'll be like, I'm or I'm hoping that it'll be like true, like eighties, nineties. As someone that's achieved a level of success at a young age, mm -hmm. what makes you insecure about how you're progressing your career moving forward? That I'm moving too fast, or in a way that doesn't feel measured, or like, or, or that I'm maybe I'm being too emotional and not like thoughtful enough. I'm trying to be both, but I just want to, I want longevity and I want this to be a, I want to grow it into like, not just a visual feast for people, but like a true business. And I think that that's like trying to find mentorship, trying to find funding, trying to find other people who know about that part of the business, because I can't pretend to be something I'm not. I'm not like a Harvard business graduate. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I am an emotional fashion person, obsessed person creative artists, um, fabric chef thing. So I, I guess I'm just trying to do things right. For more, subscribe to the Friend of a Friend podcast on the Apple podcast page and our newsletter on friendofafriend.com.